First Peter chapter 1 in your Bibles. We're going to take the next couple of weeks to talk about 2013 vision and mission. 2013 vision and mission. And this is part one. We're going to be talking about what it means to enjoy Jesus together and help others do the same. 2013 vision and mission for a few weeks. Enjoy Jesus together and help others do the same. We're going to read 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 8, just kind of as a, a backdrop for what we'll be talking about today, which is this concept of enjoying Jesus. So start reading along with me. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. I'm in the New Living Translation today. Peter writes and says, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by His great mercy that we have been born again. Because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now we live with great expectation. And we have a priceless inheritance. An inheritance that is kept in heaven for you. Pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. And through your faith, God is protecting you. By his power, until you receive this salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. So be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead. Even though you have, endure, you have to endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It's being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. Though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. And you love him, even though you've never seen him. Though you do not see him now, you trust him. And you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. Lord, thank you for your wonderful word that excites us, that enlightens us, that nourishes and revives and changes us. Thank you for your wonderful, living, active, inerrant word. Thank you this morning you're speaking to us as your church is gathered. You're meeting with us. We say together that we need you, Jesus. We say together that you, Christ, are all that we need, that you're sufficient for everything that involves life. And we thank you that you love us, Lord, and that your love is something to truly rejoice about, and that knowing you is something to truly be enjoyed. We ask that this would be true in your church. We ask together that, Holy Spirit, you please anoint me to communicate in a way that's faithful to who Christ is and what your word says. We ask that you give us ears to hear and soft hearts that truth would reverberate in and through our lives today and as we go. We ask these things together. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the passage that we just read told us in vivid language that our faith, our trust in Jesus and his finished work on the cross on our behalf, has at its core joy and inexpressible joy. 
even as the context denotes, in times of great difficulty and pain. That this relationship that we have with Jesus and its benefits transcends our troubles and translates into joy. We're told in verse 3 to be truly glad for there is wonderful joy ahead, Peter said. And to people who were suffering greatly at the time, he said in verse 8 of Jesus, you love him even though you've never seen him. And though you don't see him right now in all that you're going through, you trust him. And you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. It seems that Peter was convinced and describes in bold term, terms for us that there is something radically enjoyable about knowing Jesus. Paul would seem to agree when we read his words in Philippians 3.8 where he says, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ my Lord. <clears throat> and the psalmist would seem to concur when he exclaimed, joyful indeed are those whose God is the Lord. And even the angel who appeared to the shepherds in Bethlehem was of the same mind when he announced, I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all the peoples. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And Jesus would say in clear terms that those who belong to him would have joy. John 15, he said, I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. From the apostles to the psalmist to the angel to Jesus himself, we are told that knowing Jesus is something to be greatly enjoyed. And so in consonance with that, we here at Reality make it our mission to enjoy Jesus together and help others do the same. And, and that backdrop of Scripture that we read and those ones that we just mentioned and many more throughout the Bible fills our hearts and our minds when we say, enjoy Jesus. It's a theological, scriptural, doctrinal saying. Enjoy Jesus. So we want to talk about this a little bit and explain it and explore it a little further. We'll do Enjoy Jesus today, together next week, and help others do the same the following week. And really, as we take a few weeks to do this, what we're doing is explaining how we think about and how we approach our goal of making disciples. Because that is the goal. The explicit mission, what we're doing, is making disciples. And saying enjoy Jesus together and help others do the same is just one of the ways that we like to talk about this act of making disciples. There are a million ways that we could talk about disciple making. We might start smartly by identifying the end goal, right? Since we're concerned with making disciples, we should ask, what is a disciple? What exactly are we trying to be and to make? Well, we can say this at the very minimum. At the very minimum, a disciple follows and obeys Jesus, right? 
Secondly, at the very minimum, a disciple does so with other disciples. You've gotten this if you read the Gospels. And thirdly, at the very minimum, a disciple is engaged in the work of making disciples. Right? Doesn't that make sense from your Bible reading? A disciple of Jesus will seek to follow and obey Jesus. When Jesus called his disciples, his word to them was, follow me. A disciple is one who's endeavoring to follow Jesus in this lifetime. And he didn't only say, follow me to his disciples. He said to them, again, in John 14 this time, he said, if you love me, you will obey my commands to his disciples. So very succinctly, a disciple endeavors to follow and obey Jesus. And and following and obeying are somewhat synonymous here. Secondly, as I said, a disciple finds his or herself doing so with others of the same intent. When we read the Gospels, we see that Jesus called disciples, plural. He called them in number, and they followed him together. And thirdly, again, a disciple ends up doing what the one he or she is following does. Jesus is still working in the world, calling disciples unto himself. The last thing that Jesus said to his disciples was, go into all the world and make disciples. So a disciple makes disciples. So what we're trying to do here is put a little bit of flesh, put a a few teeth on the phrase, making disciples. Our explicit mission. Again, at the very least, disciples follow and obey Jesus together and seek to help others do the same. So how might we think of obedience? Well, we'll start at the beginning again. Jesus said this. The most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is the one and only Lord. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. The greatest commandment, the most important thing, is that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, with every fiber of your being, with all that you are, all your energy, all your attention, all your resources. Jesus said the most important thing you want to talk about obedience, the number one commandment, the biggie, love God with every fiber of your being. Well, but how, how are we to think about that? What does it mean to love God exactly? <clears throat> well, a lot. But again, minimally, Jesus said it means to obey, didn't he? But, but now we're getting into a little bit of circular reasoning, right? Because Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey. Okay, well, Jesus, I want to obey. Where should I start? Well, well, the most important thing to obey is love the Lord your God with all, everything you have. Okay, I'm loving the Lord my God. What, what, what does that look like? What should I do? Well, here's what it looks like to love. If you love me, you'll obey me. Again, John 14, 15. Okay, I want to obey. What should I do? Love the Lord your God. Okay, I'm loving you. What does that look like? I don't always know what it looks like. Obey. Okay, I'm obeying. What should I do? Love me. Okay, I'm loving you. Oh, a little bit of circular reasoning there from Jesus. So it might help us to think of loving the Lord our God with every fiber of our being as something that involves enjoyment. 
Something that involves enjoyment. You don't love something. Think with me now. You can't possibly say that you love something with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and not enjoy that thing. Oh, I love it with every fiber of my being. I don't really enjoy it. That, that, that doesn't make sense. Some of you are saying, well, there are people in my family that technically I love. I don't technically enjoy them. That's not, not the same thing. Jesus said our love for even our family should look like hatred compared to our love for him. We're talking about different things. Jesus said in Luke 14, if you want to be my disciple, talking about disciples, you want to be my disciple, you must hate everyone else by comparison. Your father and your mother, your wife and your children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you can't be my disciple. We're talking about something radical. We're talking about an all-consuming, otherworldly sort of love that we're called to. And if we're even trying to touch the first commandment, if we are to any degree endeavoring to be faithful to that first and greatest commandment, to love God that way, then we will be enjoying Him. And obedience, though challenging, will not happen begrudgingly, but joyfully. Think about it in terms of the gospel. We love God because He first loved us, right? 1 John 419. We, we love God because he first loved us. It's, this relationship is initiated by him. We rejoice in God because of what Christ has done for us, but God also and first rejoices in us. Let me just read to you from Zephaniah chapter 3. Sing, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Lord, O Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. For the Lord will remove his hand of judgment and will disperse the armies of your enemy. And the Lord himself, the king of Israel, will live among you. At last your troubles will be over and you will never again fear disaster. On that day, the announcement to Jerusalem will be this. Cheer up, Zion. Don't be afraid. For the Lord your God is living among you. He's a mighty warrior. He will take delight in you with gladness. With his love, he will calm all your fears. He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. Think about it in terms of the gospel, loving God. We love him because he first loved us. We rejoice in him, but he even rejoices over us. And we begin to discover in this joyful, loving relationship that the more we follow, the more we abide, the more we obey him, the more we discover of him, the more we find him to be truly enjoyable in every sense of the word. In John 15, connect a couple dots for us here. John 15, 8 through 11, I'll, I'll just read it to you. Jesus says, when you produce much fruit, you're truly my disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. I've loved you even as the Father has loved me. Abide in my love. When you obey my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I obey my Father's commands and abide in his love. I've told you these things so that you will be filled with joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. There's this connection between our joy in Christ and our obedience because of love. The more we obey, the more we enjoy. The psalmist said, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How, how do you taste? I, 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 can't, I can't even see him. I can't put my hands on him. How do I taste and see that the Lord is good? Begin to follow, which means begin to obey. 
And you, you'll begin to discover that he is truly good and enjoyable. That tasting is proven out as we seek and obey him. But, but the wonder of the gospel is this. That when we fail to obey Jesus, does anybody ever fail to obey Jesus? The wonder of the gospel is this. That when we fail to obey Jesus, we don't have to fail to enjoy Jesus. Yes, Jesus taught that if you love me, you will obey my commandments. But he also taught that those who are forgiven much, love much. The paradox of the gospel is that we are so wonderfully loved that we are compelled to obey. But when we fail to obey, we are still so wonderfully loved. God's love is dependent upon his character, not our performance. Thank you, Jesus. There we begin to see what it means to enjoy Jesus. In Christ, we have a new, greater, truer affection. We have a new, greater, truer affection in the person of Christ. We who, because of love, joyfully obey. Then the more we obey, the more we see of him. And the more we see of him, the more we find him to be wholly enjoyable. But being honest, we fail more than we would like to. At least I do. I fail far more than I would like to. The more we fail, the more we realize of his grace, of which we sang this morning. The more we find ourselves enjoying him and all his benefits. The psalmist said this, delight yourself in the Lord. And he also said, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits. The psalmist would say, delight yourself in the Lord and don't forget the benefits of knowing him. And that is exactly what it means to enjoy Jesus. To enjoy both his person and his benefits. If you look up the word enjoy in a dictionary, here's a definition from the Oxford American Dictionary. Number one, to delight or take pleasure in. Number two, to possess and benefit from. This is exactly what's going on in Christianity. We delight and take pleasure in Jesus. We have a new, truer, greater affection. We delight now in the Lord. And by faith, we possess Christ through relationship. And it is greater than possessing anything else in the world. Again, the Apostle Paul, yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I've discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ. We delight and we take pleasure in him. We possess him and we benefit from being connected to him through faith, his having saved us. Romans 8.32, He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? You see, that, that's enjoyment by definition. To delight in. To have possession of. To enjoy the benefit of. And that's an exact description of the Christian's relationship with God through Christ. And so throughout its history, the church has seen fit to talk in grand terms about enjoying God. We could turn to the creeds and catechisms of old. 
It's important that we look and give attention to things like creeds and catechisms, catechisms, excuse me, throughout church history because they show us whether or not the things that we believe ourselves to be discerning from Scripture, whether or not they're merely modern constructs or contemporary wisdom. We want to look and see that our interpretation that our thought processes of Bible and God and world are in consonance with what the universal church has thought throughout history. Anchors us in biblical Orthodox tradition. And so we can look to the Westminster Catechism from 1647, a teaching tool for the church at the time, taking the form of question and answer. And the very first question was this, what is the chief end of man? They're wanting to teach Christians, what is it all about? As you go on mission in the world, people are trying to discover the meaning of life. Why am I here? Why do I exist? Who made me? What am I supposed to do? What is it all about? What is the chief end of man, they said in that old language? And the answer to question number one, man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. What is it all about? Glorifying God and enjoying Him forever. The goal of humanity from a Christian perspective is shaped by Scripture. Now, these two concepts, glorify and enjoy, are not in juxtaposition to one another. They're not contrary to one another. We find them running together throughout Scripture as consonant commands to praise God. They exist in tandem. If you are glorifying God, you're enjoying God. Right? Just think about it for a minute. Oh, glory to God! I'm not that stoked on him, really. No, if you're truly glorifying God, you are enjoying God. And if you are enjoying God, you are glorifying God. They exist in tandem. They're not in competition. Now, some may object at this point and say, well, especially perhaps the not yet Christian would say, well, isn't it? Isn't it arrogant that you have this God who demands praise and says, what life is all about is that you glorify me and enjoy me. Because it it would be weird if I wanted people to delight in, enjoy, praise, and glorify me. Okay, but wait a minute. You actually do. You, You actually want people to praise and be happy about you and enjoy you. And you're wicked and unworthy, as are we all. God is the only one who is worthy of all of our praise and glory and enjoyment. But C.S. Lewis struggled with the same concept for a while. And in his book on the Psalms, he came to the realization that when we have things in our own life, or people of value, not only, not only do we delight in them, but it is our joy to speak about them and share them with others. He, sa- he said this, I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses, but completes the enjoyment. It is its appropriate consummation. Uh, an example, perhaps, my wife if my wife and I are getting ready to go somewhere, we don't have to be getting ready to go somewhere. She does this on a daily basis. My wife comes out of the bedroom looking gorgeous. My wife is beautiful. I almost cried when I said that. My wife is beautiful. 
My wife comes out looking beautiful. I enjoy that. I, 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 I'm enjoying my wife. But, but, but that, that joy doesn't find its fullness or, or its consummation or its finality until it's expressed in praise. Until I say to her, Honey, you look beautiful. You're beautiful. You see, enjoyment finds its consummation in praise, in glory. Enjoying and glorifying God is what we're meant to do. These come together in, again, the Psalms, chapter 9. I will praise you, Lord, with all my heart. I will tell of all the marvelous things you have done. I will be filled with joy because of you, and I will sing praises to your name, O Most High God. So to enjoy Jesus is to love and glorify him. It encompasses those concepts. Well, then why don't we just say at our church, glorify and love God? Why, 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 why enjoy? Why not just keep it a love and glorify? Well, quite honestly, those... Those terms, especially the term love in our culture, is so murky. So murky. And, and, and the term glory within Christianity becomes a, a little bit murky as well. They're just loaded down with lots of connotations and Christianese. But the word enjoy is provocative. The word enjoy is culturally provocative. Why, 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 why? Because our culture is obsessed with enjoying itself. That is the goal of our lives, to enjoy ourselves. We, we do everything we can to construct our lives to allow for some measured, consistent enjoyment. Our culture is obsessed with enjoyment. And so what we're trying to do is rescue the concept of joy and enjoyment. Point toward a truer, the truer source of joy and enjoyment. We want to challenge lesser joys, counterfeit joys, false joys, idols. We want to challenge idols of enjoyment in our culture. Confront the cultural idol of enjoying oneself. And so we say, enjoy Jesus. Not to the exclusion of glorify him, but encapsulating it while confronting the cultural idol of enjoyment. It's just as orthodox and biblical, but actually more confrontational. And we at reality are confrontational. We love the truth and we love to put it in your face and let you deal with it. Together. We want to and we are happy to confront the religionist, the stodgy do-gooder who wants it all to be about how much good she does and how well she obeys. Listen, Jesus said, I, I, I no longer call you slaves. Now you are my friends, John 15. You see, enjoying Jesus saves us from dead religion. We were truly created for a loving, joyful relationship with God. Not begrudging, bemoaning, slavish obedience. God loves a joyful giver, not merely the stodgy doer. We want to confront the religionists with enjoy Jesus. We want to confront the antinomian, 
with enjoy Jesus. The grace abuser who wants to do whatever he or she wants to do. No, no, no. That's, that's not enjoying Jesus. Bro, what's up with that sin in your life? Well, I'm enjoying Jesus. Wait a minute. Jesus said, if you love me, you obey my commandments. See, a call to enjoy Jesus is not a call to do whatever you want. A call to enjoy Jesus is a call to be willing to sacrifice and serve. To enjoy Jesus is to sacrifice and serve. Jesus said, you want to follow me? Right? You're not going to enjoy until you follow. You want to follow me? Pick up your cross. Deny yourself. Jesus said, you want to serve me? Okay, Peter, do you love me? Then feed my sheep. Serve in the church. To enjoy Jesus is to sacrifice and to be willing to serve in the church and in the world. We want to confront the religionist and the antinomian. We want to confront the shallow hedonist, the seeker of lesser joys. Because the psalmist said of God, in your presence is a fullness of joy. And in your right hand there are pleasures forever. And nowhere else, nowhere else do we find fullness of joy but in the presence of God. All else is lesser. Jesus is better. All else is lesser. Jesus is better. And he is the only one worthy of our service, our sacrifice, and our praise. He himself is so wonderfully enjoyable that as Paul said, all else is rubbish. And Jesus is most glorified when he is most enjoyed by his people. Well, you might ask, well, why, why you know, you, you like the Catechism Westminster and it says uh, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Why didn't we just leave it to God? Why did we change it to Jesus? The ancient church didn't say, Jesus, why all of a sudden are we saying Jesus? Okay, well, fair question. Beyond dealing with the obvious Trinitarian issues that Jesus is God, I would say this, God in our culture is about as ambiguous and innocuous a term as there could ever be. The Grammys are tonight. Watch the Grammys. And see how many people thank God. It's, it's an innocuous, meaningless... We live in the most pluralistic culture the world has ever known. When you say God in our culture, you could be talking about Hinduism, you could be talking about Islam, you could be talking about New Age, you could be talking about the fact that you are God, you could be talking about you will become a God, Mormonism, you could be talking about Jehovah's Witnesses. Well, what, what in the world does it mean in our culture when you say God? You can say God in just about any venue. The Grammys tonight. And and nobody's offended. But you say Jesus. And it stirs. His is a name above every name. It's not ambiguous. Jesus of Nazareth is a name above every name. And you say that name, and it stirs. And so we say, enjoy, world, Jesus, the one and only unique Son of God, the only Savior of the world who rose from the dead, conquered sin, death, and the devil, and is coming again. We want to confront false gods and idols. The church should be saying, Jesus makes clear who we're talking about, who we are following, who we're worshiping, and who we're making disciples for. You see, we reality are intensely Christ-centered. We are Christological. Okay, so how do, we, how do we do this practically, this enjoy Jesus thing? Well, we are to make, by choice, by faith, we are to make Jesus the center and source of all of our joy. 
Okay. How do we do that? Well, let me say this. It's not a matter of feeling. It's not a matter of feeling. It's a matter of acting according to truth. Enjoying Jesus is not a matter of feeling. It's a matter of acting according to truth. It is putting obedience before desire. Christianity has always insisted that trust and obedience come first, and perhaps feelings follow. We obey our way into feelings. We don't feel our way into obedience. And never enjoy Christ until you're truly seeking Christ by endeavoring to follow Christ by obeying Christ. In doing so, listen to this, in doing so, in a way that anything else that brings joy to our lives merely causes us to look beyond that thing to Christ, the source and center of joy. So, if it's a good relationship, a nice time of recreation, being in nature, art, having an abundance, music, possessions, whatever it is, we make Jesus source and center of our joy. We choose to look beyond that, that temporal, immediate thing to the source and the center of joy. I, I, I made this one of my goals over the last year or so. Though when something in my life was enjoyable, I, I was going to push the enjoyment of that beyond that thing to Jesus. So for me, it was surfing, where I, I really worked on it. And, and so when, when I go surfing, I, I, I would try to, as much as I enjoy this, think, man, I, I only enjoy this because of Jesus. Jesus is the one who, through whom all things were created and for whom all things exist. And any enjoyment I find in the beautiful act of surfing is only a mere shadow of the beauty of Jesus. It doesn't mean that we have to enjoy Jesus in lieu of things. It's not what I'm saying. Stop enjoying life. Only enjoy Jesus. That is not what I'm saying. It doesn't mean that we enjoy Jesus in lieu of things, but rather that we enjoy Jesus in all things. And in doing that, we are able to then enjoy other things more. Why? Because we're not looking for ultimate joy and ultimate fulfillment in these temporal worldly things anymore. And so because we're not looking for ultimate joy and contentment and meaning and fulfillment in them, we can actually enjoy them more and need them less. Because Jesus is the source and center of our joy who meets all our needs. So now there's not so much invested in this thing. I can enjoy it more. Shreen. But also, we want to do this so that anything that challenges our sense of well-being, because surely not all things in life are enjoyable, anything that challenges our sense of well-being is transcended by the joy of knowing Jesus. Suffering, sickness, cancer, death, hardship, betrayal, going without. The joy of the Lord is your strength says in Nehemiah. And this has been my endeavor as of late. What, as my daughter is suffering beyond description, what does it mean to enjoy Jesus as I sit with her in the hospital room? That, that's been my spiritual work. 
What does it mean to enjoy Jesus when I'm, I'm facing this, this thing? It means to think beyond the immediate to the truth that we know about Christ. That we have a hope beyond anything this world could throw at us. That he's risen and he lives. And we too shall be resurrected and live even if we die, he said in John 11. That he's coming again, that he's going to undo and make untrue everything that has gone wrong. That he's going to rule and reign and set everything right. And that it won't always be this way. There's coming today where there will be no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain, no more sickness, no more cancer, no more death. He himself will wipe away every tear. How do I enjoy Jesus when my heart is breaking every day? I think upon these things. And though I don't enjoy the suffering of my daughter and cancer, I enjoy the promises and person of Jesus who transcends anything this world could throw at me. So to enjoy Jesus is to persevere under trial because we have a greater, truer, more sure hope and joy. 1 Thessalonians 4, that I was reading with my wife the other day to remind us is we don't grieve as the world grieves. We do grieve, but not like the world who has no hope. We have hope in Jesus. Yes, we grieve. We're told to weep with those who weep. But we don't grieve in the same way because we have a truer source and center, Jesus. It doesn't mean that we're always happy or up or clappy or glad. That, that's not the way life is. And those aren't the stories that we read in Scripture. There's a lot of heartbreak, sadness, and tragedy in the story that God has given us. Think of the life of Jeremiah, David, Job, Nehemiah, Abraham, even Paul. You read the Psalms, which are full of great sorrow, but always comes the refrain, I will rejoice in the Lord. doesn't mean that we're always happy, but it does mean that we have one who transcends all that is bad and all that is good and whose benefits give us inexpressible joy. Here's what that does not mean. It doesn't mean that we have to go back to faking it, Christianity. We don't have to go back to faking it. The gospel saves us from having to fake it. We don't have to pretend like we're good anymore. The gospel tells us we're bad. A prerequisite for believing the gospel is knowing that you're bad. We don't have to fake it anymore. We don't have to pretend like we're always happy and we're always up. Life is not easy street just because you're following Jesus. Life is hard sometimes. It's okay to weep. Jesus wept. We're told to weep with those who weep. But I have a source and a center and a Savior who transcends all that hurts in life and gives me hope that yields joy inexpressible. And sometimes... It may hurt too much to express this hidden, abiding, struggling, clinging joy. Sometimes it may just be a whisper of a broken heart that says, I trust you, Christ. 
The outward expression may be sad, but there may just be a whisper that by faith says, I trust you, Jesus. That is to enjoy him. And to enjoy him is to have strength to stand firm against the temptations of the world, the flesh, and the enemy. Because we have a truer love and a truer joy. So we're not tempted to demand those things from other lesser things and people. So we live differently in a world that is always competing for affection, love, and attention. So whether we are thriving or suffering, we're able to look beyond those things to Christ who is greater and truer. Colossians 1, Therefore, if you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when we do that, we realize that to enjoy Jesus is to appropriate all the benefits of knowing him into our daily lives. To think deeply on his person and his benefits. Well, what does that mean when I'm having fun? When I'm enjoying nature? When I'm in need? When I suffer? When I lose? When I win? When I've been rejected? When I'm being praised? When I have lots of money, when I have little money. When my job is boring, when my marriage is hard, when my health is failing and my heart is breaking, when my daughter is dying. How can I set my mind on things above where Christ is? To realize that looking beyond circumstances is the unchanging king of glory who invites us to enjoy him and his truth is how we lay hold of what Scripture says. Philippians 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is good and of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. So that we can say together along with the Apostle Paul, I know how to get along with humble means, And I also know how to live in prosperity, in good times and in bad times. In any and in every circumstance, I've learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having an abundance and of suffering need. And I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. In other words, Jesus is enough. I'm only truly satisfied in him. So to enjoy Jesus is to have intended, obedient, truth-oriented joy in life when everything material and temporal is lacking, missing, broken, or insufficient. Or when it's not. When times are good. To look beyond the temporal blessings to the one who blesses.
Well, with regards to brokenness, that is the kind of world that Jesus came to save. Lacking, broken, insufficient, wicked, and painful. And what we want to do, the explicit mission, is to make that same announcement to the world that the angel made that night. Joy to the world! The Savior's come. It's 2,000 years later, so they can't walk into Bethlehem and find a babe in a manger. But they can see something of that joyful coming. The inbreaking of the kingdom of God into a broken world and the person of Christ in us. Saying enjoy Jesus, then, is an intense, radical, countercultural, otherworldly, hopeful, bold, deeply theological and historical proclamation that Christ is better. Amen? Thank you, Lord. We believe these things. We believe that you're better than anything this world has to offer. But you, the creator of joy, if anything was ever to be enjoyed, it's you yourself. Thank you, God. Thank you, Christ, that as we repent of our sins and put our faith in you, you bring us into this meaningful, joyful love relationship. Thank you that you love us more than we could ever dare imagine or ever hope to love ourselves. Surely, somehow in your grace, because of who you are, you enjoy us more than we probably get around to enjoying you. And we ask that you teach us to be a people who enjoy you more and push all the pleasures of life back toward your glory and push all the pain of life up toward the hope of your resurrection and your coming. And you would help us to faithfully this year announce to a broken world, joy, the Savior is born. In Jesus' name, amen.